Welcome to the Fine Arts Educator Coaching Clinics Podcast, the podcast that supports art, theater, dance, and music teachers by sharing instructional trends and exploring perspectives in fine arts education. I am your host, Eric Sanford. Visit our website, faecc.org, to find resources and links to this podcast. While you're there, follow our socials and let us know your thoughts on the episode. You'd mentioned before, and especially just in the the introduction, about mindfulness and meditation Mm -hmm. as well. I know for our classes, it could even help for students. And as a teacher, we become, well, we we get a little bit less stressed, I guess, from that. We can kind of center ourselves a bit better, too, when we're actually able to lead that and and calm everyone else down as well. Mm -hmm. Can you take me through... Maybe it's just some kind of go-tos or something that, that could help with that and, and something that I could use with my own classes and others can use with theirs too. Yes, absolutely. Um, so when we talk, uh, there are a lot of misconceptions about mindfulness and mindfulness is connected with Buddhism, but, but the version that I teach is uh, agnostic. And so I, I, I teach it to a lot of Christians and they love it. Um, I teach it to people of all worldviews and they love it. Basically, mindfulness at its core is uh, investing ourselves in awareness and connection to the here and now. Right? So whatever is present here in the here and now. Sometimes I'll talk about that in terms of truth. What's true? What's true is something that's verifiable with our five senses right here, right now. And when we can remind ourselves to orient to that, then then all the other stuff, I'd say more than 95% of anxiety is either... A small part of that's maybe a regret over the past, but I see the vast majority of anxiety is what we call anticipatory stress. We are worried about a future that hadn't even happened yet. And, um, you know, when we spend all our mental real estate, our, all our mental energy on things that have not even occurred yet, we got nothing left in the tank for what's right here in front of us. And so mindfulness is really um, intentionally focusing ourselves on and also practicing because mindfulness is a skill, okay? And and, just like playing trumpet is a skill, the more we practice it, the more we, you know, inculcate in ourselves the ability to do that, right? And so one of the barriers to entry I hear for people when we start to talk about mindfulness, specifically when we talk about meditation, which I put a lot of value in the meditation practice, um, there are a lot of misconceptions about meditation. You know, people will say, well, I don't have that much time to do. The research shows us that three to five minutes of mindfulness meditation a day can have a clinical effect positively. Uh, so if you can carve out three minutes, then you can help yourself, right? Um, I've had people who can commit to one to two minutes and they notice the difference. It helps. Um, I've had people say, uh, well, I just, I can't clear my mind. I, I'm too busy brain. I'm always multitasking. I can't do that. And nobody can. <laughs> and so it's not even the point. Okay. So when we talk about it more, you know, mindfulness meditation, the way I teach it anyway, it's not about clearing your mind. It's about choosing what you're oriented towards. And then when that fails, we reorient. When that fails, we reorient, right? The, the, the Buddhists like to say the way to control a cow is to put it in a large field. And uh, anyone who's ever, you know, Eric, you and I are in Texas and we met in Oklahoma, you know, many of your listeners, I'm assuming in Texas and, and that area. And 
most people who've grown up in Texas have been around where they work cows. And you know, the cows kind of come through the chute. They go through that little narrow thing, and then they hit the little thing where they squeeze the walls in on them, right? And and that cow becomes very, um, you know, very upset. We try to do the same thing to our thoughts. And so when we can say, hey, get out in that field, wander around, enjoy some grass, you know, then then when we learn how to do that in certain ways, and when we learn how to engage our thoughts and our feelings in in certain ways, then, again, it just lowers our temperature. Okay. Um, and so people say, I can't clear my mind. I don't have time. Neither of those things are true. Once we really start to interrogate that, um, they'll say, well, you know, I'm, I'm a fundamentalist Christian. I go to a Southern Baptist church and I would never, you know what? I have taught this to the most, to, to the most conservative fundamentalist people that you could ever meet. And they loved it. Okay. So we are not talking anything about religion on this. This is just simply, being present in the here and now. And by the way, I think the Bible sometimes has something to say about that. I'm pretty uh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so, um, you know, so I, there's nothing unchristian about mindfulness meditation. Okay. And the thing is, you see things on, on TV and social media, people sitting in these weird poses, or you got to wear yoga pants, or you got to go to yoga class. And, you know, you don't have to grow a man bun to do mindfulness meditation, I promise you. It's, oh, but I was looking forward to that part of it, you know. Well, it is an option, you know. So if you want to, you. you but you're right but you're right. They're they're always in a very chill, relaxed space. It's got mm -hmm. the music in the background. It's very minimalist. It's got you know, it, it's it's nothing that resembles anywhere where I go to, and yeah. so I'm already intimidated by that because I'm thinking, why well, don't I have this and this and this and this and this? How am I mm -hmm. going to be able to be into that mindset because I'm not in that area either, in that that physical location. And we'll we'll go through an exercise here in just a few moments, I think, that, that will sort of illustrate that. But, you know, this you can do, you know, I mean, don't do it while you're driving, but you can do it, you know, in the parking lot. You've got three minutes before you've got to go inside and do your, you know, morning duty or, you know, you've got got seven minutes between classes you, where you can actually close your office door, uh, which I know is a rarity for teachers, but sometimes you can. Um you know, we uh, we stop by the store on the way home, and you know, before we go in to buy whatever we're cooking for dinner, we maybe take two to three minutes in the car. And you know, and the thing is, in this day, and everyone's always listening to a song or a a podcast or something. So if you're sitting in your car just listening to a guided meditation, then no one's going to think twice about it, right? Um, there's a great app I'll point you to, Eric, and your listeners. Um, it's a free app. Uh, it's called UCLA Mindful. And UCLA, like the college, Mindful. It's a free app, and there's no paywalls. There's there's lots of meditation apps out there, many of them very good. But uh, the thing I like about there's two things in particular, um, aside from just having really good content. Uh, there's no paywalls. And um, they also talk to you like you're a normal person in the meditations, which... Sometimes even with the really great people, if I do a guided meditation, the way they talk is just so, I don't know, distracting for me that I, I struggle with those. And and I think in the UCLA Mindful app, they do a really good job of that. Okay. I have to check that one out. Thank okay. you. So do you, do you want to talk about some techniques that we can use? Most definitely. And, I'm, okay. and I do want to, you mentioned guiding me through one too. I would love mm -hmm. to go through that as well. Uh, it, it's it's I have to say, I'm always wanting to do it. I've tried to do it several times. It's one of those deals where I have a nap, like you said, a couple laps maybe, 
And then it just kind of falls off and it's like, oh, I feel better today. And then I don't do it tomorrow or the day after that. And it's like, oh, I should have kept on doing it just like practicing. And that's the key, I think. I think you're exactly right. Uh, there, There are two ways that we can use meditation to help ourselves feel better. And they both work. Uh, one is what we call a rescue. So you're amped up, you're overwhelmed, you're whatever, and you're just going to breathe and do some do a short meditation just to kind of bring your temperature down, right? And we, we call that parasympathetic activation. The, the stress response is the sympathetic nervous system. And so when you get amped up, we call that sympathetic activation. The opposite of that is parasympathetic activation where we, we kind of undo all of that, right? And we can sort of do that intentionally if, we, if we'll do it. So as a rescue, it's perfectly fine, and I think that's that's okay to do. In fact, I encourage it. Um, and one of the one of the variations, it's not really a mindfulness technique per se, but uh, I know that uh, a lot of people teach what's called a box breath, where you know you'll breathe in for a certain number of counts, you'll hold for a certain number of counts, you'll breathe out for a certain number of counts, and then you hold. So you know, in for five, hold for five, out for five, hold for five. And, and that's one that a lot of people get a lot of benefit from where, where, you know, if they're really amped up and they really just need to calm, they need to cool their jets before those kids hit the door or whatever, that's, that's one that can be really useful. Um, another exercise, I'm sorry, I'm kind of taking a little detour here. Um, another exercise that can be really useful is what I call uh, the, just the, and I know that other people use it and they call it something else, but I call it the five things exercise. Um, and some people use five of one, four of another, three of another, but let's just do one. Okay. So Eric, could, would you do this with me? I, I'm, yeah, I'm going to put you on the spot here. So we're just going to do a quick, uh, sensory inventory. Okay. So, uh, just really quickly, uh, I'm going to ask you just to, to just become aware of your breathing. Just notice that breath coming in and out. We're not going to make any changes to it. Just be aware of the feeling of that breath. And now what I'd like you to do is just orient your attention to one thing that you can see. And I'm going to ask you to tell me what that is. What's one thing you can see? I'm going to look at my microphone right here in front of me. Your microphone right there in front of you. Okay. And what is one thing that you can hear? With the noise-canceling headphones, not a lot, but I can hear a little bit of feedback maybe or just the, the background noise um, coming through the computer. Okay. So you're, you're aware of those things in your surroundings. So gradually what we're doing is we're just orienting you to the here and now. Okay. So we've done see, we've done hear. What's one thing that you can feel, just physical touch and something just very, very simple? Don't don't underestimate the the, the simple on that. Well, I have a, a stylus in my hand for my tablet, mm-hmm. and I have a habit of taking the, the pointy tip and touching it to my fingertip. It just, it's a tactile thing for me, but that's, mm-hmm. that's definitely something I'm, I'm feeling right now. Okay, okay. What about one thing you can smell? I can't really smell much of anything right now. Uh, maybe a little bit of, of leftover dinner uh, from the cooking from that tonight. Yeah. Okay. And what about one thing you can taste? Water doesn't have much taste, thankfully. Um, <laughs> and, but um, the aftertaste of the water is, is still a little bit on, on, on my tongue. Okay. So how hard was that to do? Nothing at all. I mean, maybe Super put on the spot was a little bit, you know, hit my bell curve a little bit more. But at the same time, I was like, this is nothing. Yeah. And so sometimes to calm ourselves, you know, we can try the box breathing. We can try the five things exercise. And some people will do five things I can see, four things I can hear, three things I can, you know, and if that if that's what you want to do, great. But 
again, all we're doing is just we're just reorient, reorienting ourselves to the here and now, right? So if you're, um, and honestly, you know, the the five things exercise you could do in your mind while you're teaching if you had to. Uh, and uh, you don't have to tell the kids you're doing it. You can just do it while you're going. You know, we, we multi-track all the time in teaching, right? And so uh, that's something that in the, because, you know, every once in a while we sort of get amped up when we're in the flow of teaching. And uh, sometimes we do feel like, ah, I need to calm myself now. And kids don't even need to know what's going on, okay? Um, so... In terms of the meditation practice, do you want to walk through one of those? Would that be okay? Oh, yeah. This is great. So, um, so Eric, I'll do this with you. And listeners, if, if you choose to do this, just, again, do this if you're not, you know, driving or something. And I uh, <laughs> don't recommend it there. Um, but uh, you can kind of follow along as you like. And so, Eric, what I'll invite you to do, you're, you're already seated there. And so just find a, a comfortable posture and um, a posture that kind of honors the fact that you're paying attention to yourself and you're working on yourself. And so we want to make sure that, you know, we're not too slouched, but we're not, you know, super rigid either, just comfortable and straight and just honoring ourselves. And as you are sitting there and you're in a chair, but we can do this seated on the floor, we can do it lying down there, you know, we can do this any number of comfortable ways. Uh, and Eric, what I'm going to invite you to do is just draw your awareness to your breath. Just notice that breath as it comes in and out of your body. And when you breathe in, we'll go ahead and breathe in through our nose. You feel the coolness of that air, and we allow that air to travel all the way down the torso, right? And so we call it a belly breath, and so we, most musicians understand what, what diaphragmatic or belly breathing is, right? We, we, we keep the, the chest and the shoulders relaxed, and we just allow that breath to travel down into the torso so the belly actually expands. We're going to try too hard on that. We're just going to allow this to happen so the breath comes in, and then feel the warmth and humidity of that air as you let that air go back outside your, your system again. Now, as you're breathing and you're aware of that breath, uh, you, you can actually, to more fully draw your attention to that breath, uh, you can actually say to yourself in your mind, I'm breathing in. And then you can continue to count. Two, three, four, if you like five. And then I'm breathing out. Two, three, four, five. I'm breathing in. Two, three, four, five. I'm breathing out. Two, Three, four, five. Now, Eric, let's pause for a second. Let me just ask you to reflect on what that's like for you. All the things in my head got quiet. Um, I'm not worried about professional development or school starting. I'm not thinking about my kids upstairs. I'm not thinking about... Anything else that's going on, it, it, I mean, I'm, I am now, but sure. during that time, 
it was so much focus just on the breath and so much focus on one simple thing that really, I mean, I, I call it breathing to live. There's breathing to play. And then this would be breathing to, I don't know, focus, breathing to chill, breathing to, I don't Well, know. There, there are lots of ways to look at it. I would just call it breathing. Um, we, we don't necessarily have to have an intentionality about that, but we can just recognize that there's one activity that we do from the moment we're born until the moment we die, and that is breathe. And... Um, yeah, you've got me thinking about all kinds of mindfulness philosophies now related to why am I breathing? Um, breathing to okay. breathe. Breathing, yeah, we're just breathing to breathe. Now, um, let me let me tell you what happens when I do this, and I've you know I've been doing this for several years now, and 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 it's a fairly regular practice for me. But so if I'm breathing, I'll I'll kind of tell you what's going on in my brain. Okay, so here yeah. I'm seated, and I'm breathing in, two, three. I wonder if I let the dog out. Okay, I'm breathing out. Two, three. It sounds like the refrigerator door's open. I'm breathing in. Two, three. Do I have three or four sessions this afternoon? Okay, so you you see what happens, right? The the noise of everyday life just kind of infiltrates, right? Mm -hmm. But what we then do is we reorient. We allow, now if we try to grab those thoughts and shake them down and, you know, then it, we become that cow in the, in the you know, in the thing there, right? I forget, I don't know what it's called. Um, the shoot. And the shoot, right? And, and then all of a sudden we become very violent, right? Whereas if we just sort of acknowledge it's okay that this thought entered in, but then we just allow it to wander off again, right? Um, it's kind of like, you know, running into someone at the mall when you're in a hurry to get somewhere, you know, and, and if you make eye contact, well, you've, you've, you know, polite company, you don't just ignore them if you make eye contact, but if you stop and talk, you're going to be late to whatever you're late to. So you just kind of wave, Hey, I see you. We got to go. Bye. And we can do that with our thoughts and through practice, through repetition, we, we don't necessarily clear our minds so much as we get really much better at catch and release. I like the way you phrase that. <laughs> Thanks. Um, what do you like about that? How is that useful for you? I, I think in my mind, I'm thinking it's, it's futile to try to control all the things coming in all the time. Mm -hmm. That that's not under control. That's not control of anything. That's that's not even helpful. And it's going to cause more stress for me if I try to do that. But like you said, you just kind of recognize it, say, oh, okay, I see you thought, okay, I'm letting you go now. Back into the water, back into the stream. And then it's still there somewhere else. And it can be addressed some other later time too, if it really needs to be. But at the same time, you're just you're just there. Remembering that those thoughts, and sometimes emotions come up, and sometimes they're difficult emotions, right? And and just remembering that those are still a part of you, and so we want to honor those, we want to care for them, we want to love them. And some people find it a little counterintuitive to say, I have hard feelings and hard emotions. I love those. And the answer is yes, absolutely. Because those emotions are talking to you. They're talking about your frailty. They're talking about your opportunity for healing. And that's, you know, much bigger conversation, of course. But no, we do love those. Now, we don't necessarily love how they feel. 
we don't try to recreate them. <laughs> but but no, we do love those because it's just like physical pain is a sign that there's a danger to you, right? Those emotional pains, those difficult memories and recurring memories sort of thing. Um, those are things that that is our nervous system and our, our subconscious talking to us. And I think we want to honor that, right? So, Eric, this whole thing then, I, I mean, I, I don't mean to suggest that doing this one time is going to suddenly let you zen out in front of your sixth grade beginning double read class or something, right? Um, it, it doesn't work that way, right? Um, but I think it's important to remember that the complex and dangerous world that our nervous systems were built for really was about 40,000 years ago. And so we're designed for one tiger a day, one antelope a day, you know, one or two other things a day, right? But in the modern world, just like the brain doesn't really distinguish fact from fiction, it also doesn't completely distinguish between threat levels. And so a tiger and a text message kind of both give the stress response. We both have the cortisol release. We already have the adrenaline release. It still feels big to us, right? How many of those text message stressors do we have throughout our day? Exactly. Yeah. Hundreds, maybe thousands. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. An yeah. email and any ding or anything else that comes from your watch or your phone or your computer or yeah, that, that, that's exactly it. And, and some people react to those the same way they would to a tiger or any yeah. other, any other interruption in their day. Mm -hmm. That's exactly right because they can feel very big. And even if they don't individually feel big, they still accumulate and, you know, again, when we're in a professional setting, we shove those into containers, right? Because we can't, uh, you know, there's, um, there was a scene in the Star Trek reboot movie. I don't know if you are a Trek person or not. But, I am. Uh, okay. So you probably remember it where, where Kirk is trying to get Spock to show his emotion. And, and I don't remember the exact quote, but Spock basically said, well, you know, I'm trying to help you fix this problem, but if me, you know, wandering the halls, wailing and crying would better serve our mission, then I guess I could do that. As the, you know, Well, we can't air all our stuff out when we're in a professional setting, right? Um, so we do. We put them in containers. But what this allows us to do then is to take two minutes and hold some space for ourselves. And there are lots of extensions of this process I just took you through, Eric, and, and, I, and I teach on some of these, that we when we breathe, we we begin to notice things. We don't just notice our breath and the feeling of the breath. We notice when there are um, aches and pains and discomforts and thoughts and emotions that come up. And, and a part of the process then is we learn how to not push back on those so hard. We learn to just sort of have compassion for the fact that these are a part of ourselves, you know? And, and hey, when that parent called and cussed you out in between classes, you know, you're allowed to be hurt by that. That's, it's okay that that's painful. And, and, even if you've been teaching for 20 years, if that made you feel a little insecure about your job, that's okay too. Because, you know, we're all human and these things are going to come flying at us, right? If we try to ignore them, they're going to come back again and again and again and they're going to bring friends, right? Whereas if we learn to, through whatever, whether it's meditation or prayer or exercise or painting and pino class or whatever, you know, when we learn to kind of tend to that mind-body ecosystem uh, in ways that kind of calms it down, then it, you know, it kind of lets us put on that existential catcher's mitt and just kind of feel whatever's coming at us a little better. 
I appreciate the time you've taken with us to kind of walk us through and explain just a lot of the different nuances with this too. Mm -hmm. Uh, Is there any last thoughts that you would like to leave with our audience today? Uh, Any or anything else you would like to tell us about the work that you do as well? Absolutely. Um, One, um, I'll share a a really brief story. It's probably clear that I'm excited about this. and I don't necessarily speak of it in really mindful ways because I get kind of amped up and excited because I do think this is very cool. I, I think this idea that we can intentionally tune our our nervous systems to make us more resilient, more responsive instead of reactive. To me, I think that's very, very cool. That's really good news. And there was a time in my own life when I was the opposite of all those things. Uh, and and it was not a fun time. And I know what it feels like, right? I've, and Eric, I feel like mindfulness, in some ways, it saved my life. Right. In some ways, it helped me get through some some times that are almost indescribable, and and the ability to be able to sit with those again. You don't have to do thirty minutes on a pillow in your yoga pants. You can do two minutes in the Target parking lot before you go in and buy green beans. Uh, you know, it's it doesn't have to be this great big thing. The research shows us that you know, two, three, five minutes can have an impact. Um, we talked about using it as a rescue. The other way that I think is more profound, more important, is when we can do it regularly. It becomes a practice just like doing long tones and scales on trumpet, just like doing you know, exercises at the gym or walking or running or whatever. The more we build these things in as habits, they, they have that, that baseline calming effect on us. Um, and to me, that's, that's the ninja level stuff right there. Uh, that's that is the magic potion, okay? It's not the calming yourself in the moment. It's the using these techniques to tune your nervous system so that you can catch all these things when they're flying at you and not lose your cool, or you can recover from them better, right? Um, When I went back to teaching, I had this seventh grade band class that, let's just say it was a special group of young people, uh, they, they really were great kids, but oh my gosh, the energy in this group, and they had not really had any discipline at all leading up into when I met them. And so we had a real uphill battle just getting things reined in. And I know we've all had those classes where it's like, oh, am I going to make it to the end of the year with these kids? And one day, just, you know, on a whim, I said, okay, everyone just put your horns down for a second. And I want you to focus on your breathing. I'm like, what? I said, yeah, just pay attention to your breath. Feel that breath come in, come out. And we just did a little two to three minute breathing exercise with them where we went through something very similar, Eric, to what I just took you through. And I thought it was going to blow up in my face. I thought it was just going to be a disaster. And I thought I might even get some parent calls or administrator calls. Nope. Kids loved it. And they were not gaming the system. They weren't just trying to sleep in class. They were actively engaging this. And they asked me for that every single day from then on. Seventh grade kids really invested in this. Uh, And and this was in a country school (laughs) where I know they weren't probably getting this stuff at home. Uh, And and so... um, and, and so it does work in a class. You asked about a classroom setting. This is something that we can do in a classroom. And you probably don't call it mindfulness in a public school classroom. You probably don't call it meditation. You probably call it a breathing technique or a calming exercise or whatever, right? It's the same principle. And since it's non-religious anyway, it's all the same. Right? 
it's going to fuel the creative process either way because it puts your mental state into uh, like you said a, a less high strong trampoline where you can actually get creative in that atmosphere too so i see that as an integral part of of any creative class that we we're going to be doing anyways mm-hmm. absolutely i had a friend many years ago who had a similar beginning band class that she was struggling with and um, she finally got all the kids notebooks and they spent the first five minutes of class listening to music and writing in journals. And, and she talked to me about how journaling with her class, you know, she said, you can write anything you want and, you know, you can write the same sentence over and over and over, but the rule is you have to write for this amount of time. And she would have the music going on if the kids wanted to write about the music. And, um, again, she credited that as really kind of saving her class. So yeah, that creative process where, again, Eric, I think the whole idea is we learn how to hold space for whatever is inside of us because we are inundated with messages. Adults or kids, uh, we're inundated with messages that we're not enough. We're, in, we're inundated with shame gremlins, right? Um, I mean, if you look at the advertising industry, the whole job of the advertising industry is to teach you that you're not enough until you buy our thing. Give us your money, then you'll be enough. Right? And so we're inundated with messages that we're not enough. And um, and when we can just kind of hold space, whether it's through writing, through breathing, through art with our friends, through exercise, and just say, you know what, whatever's going to happen, this is going to be sufficient. Right? Um, Dr. Brene Brown talks about this a lot in her book. So listeners, if you check out um, Daring Greatly by Brene Brown, that's a good one to talk about this. And so... Um, but I, I think that that mindfulness work, meditation work, all of these contemplative practices are all of these mind-body kinds of things. I think what we're really talking about is cultivating empathy and compassion for the self. And empathy and compassion are the kryptonite of shame, in my opinion. Uh, and we, we are taught shame at every turn in the modern world. And when we can practice empathy and compassion, we just blow that shame up and things get better. I'm going down a rabbit hole. I'm going to stop because that <laughs> that's okay. That's but, another but show. It, it is another show. We have to come back and, and do another one that goes a little bit further into yeah. that one. Now, do you have anything that you're offering for um, online or anything else too? I, I hear you have some exciting things, prospects coming up for uh, for the work that you're doing. I, I appreciate you bringing that up. Yes. Uh, so I, um, a couple things. One, I, I do a fair amount of consulting with organizations on these kinds of stress management, group dynamics, leadership training, those kinds of things. Um, you know, I don't think you're a band director for very long before you're asked to go help somebody's kids learn to be drum majors or something. I mean, that's a pretty normal thing, but, uh, I, I do a lot of uh, consulting and working with uh, adult organizations as well. Um, everything from strategic planning to, um, uh, you know, cultivating uh, employee wellness, those sorts of things. And, and, and it all gets back through interpersonal wellness and communication, that sort of thing. Um, so through doing a lot of that and also just doing all my work with individuals, uh, I'm always talking about mindfulness meditation. And, and I feel like, I always feel like, man, there should be a resource that really walks people through this in a way that kind of overcomes a lot of these barriers to entry. 
right? All these presumptions and insecurities that we can bring into it uh, on the front end that stop us from doing it. Um, you know, and even something as simple as, wow, three minutes sounds like a long time. Yeah, well, is 10 breaths a long time? Can you take 10 breaths? I can do 10 breaths. Okay, well, 10 breaths is two minutes. And, and so if you do 10 breaths, that's a lot easier, right? These little things. And, and so I kept saying to myself, man, there needs to be a resource. And then I, it finally occurred to me that I should just create one. So that's what I'm working on right now. I'm, I'm in production in an online class that is mindfulness meditation for the absolute beginner. And it's not ready yet, uh, but it will be soon. And, um, uh, and it, it is going to be available commercially, but again, the barrier to entry is going to be very low. And Eric, for your listeners, I'm willing to make it even lower. So we'll come up with some kind of a, a discount code or something that you can offer your folks. And, and uh, um, so, you know, maybe if they listen to this episode and then they want to circle back around or check your website or whatever, then they can, if you're willing, maybe you can share that with them. Absolutely. Uh, and so it's going to be just, again, mindfulness meditation for everyday people. Uh, and so I'm going to, you know, you're not going to think I'm trying to hypnotize you. It's not going to sound like an old circus hypnotist and, you know, or the, you know, the snake on the jungle book where it's trying to hypnotize you. It's not going to sound like any of that. It's going to sound like a normal person uh, just helping you focus on your breathing, orient towards your mind and your body and um, develop a practice. And we'll just try to overcome some of those. So it's going to be an online course that I'll be offering. And uh, hopefully that's eventually going to be one of many uh, that I offer in the personal development realm. Wonderful. Chris, uh, I look forward to our next meeting, of course. And if you are interested in connecting with Chris, his information with his website and contact information will be in the show notes and on the website. So please check that. And Chris, do you have a website of your own that you want to put out there before we... Uh, close up our session? You know, kind of the central place for all of these things is is chrisneal.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-N-E-A-L.com. And so people can check that out. And, um, you know, if someone in my home state is interested in, in personal counseling, then there's links for that too. And, you know, any non-Texans, I can't do counseling with you, I can do coaching. And so, you know, if anyone wants to work together, then we can have that conversation. But, um you know, really anyone who wants to, you know, get links to the blog or, you know, all that free content is, is available through chrisnail.com. Wonderful. And he also has a podcast, uh, The Resilient Self, which I listen to on Spotify. I think it's on Apple. It's on all of them, I'm, I'm sure. Yeah. And so be sure to check that out as well. Chris, thank you again for joining us and for this wonderful information about mindfulness and, and just how we can help ourselves uh, this coming school year. Eric, thank you so much for having me, and I just wish you all the best this year. It's, um, it's a, an important job that you have, and so I wish you well. Thank you so much, Chris, and thank you again for everyone to listening, and we wish you the most wonderful and amazing school year yet, and we can't wait to see you again. Peace and blessings to everyone. <laughs>